Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Everywhere in our land are found men and women who have worked their own way from humble beginnings to leadership in commerce, the great productive industries, the management of financial affairs, and in controlling the veins and arteries of the traffic and exchanges of this country. There are many people like that in history. In this episode, I'm going to explore the life of one family by the name of Eldred that accomplished not only that, but so much more in Southwest Michigan. And this story spans Jackson, Comstock, Climax, Michigan, and Battle Creek. So come along and join me. Now, in today's episode, I'm going to be referring to two different references. One was a sketch on the life of Caleb Eldred that was written by historian A.D.P. Van Buren. If you follow the podcast, he is a historian that chronicled a lot of the early history of Calhoun County and Kalamazoo County. Starting in the 1830s forward, he arrived on the Gogwak Prairie as a young man with his father in the 1830s and lived in the area his whole life. He became a teacher and, most importantly, a recorder of the history of the area and its people. The other book that I'm going to be referring to is A Biographical Review of Calhoun County. And this was published in 1904 by a company called Hobart Mather Chicago. And these sketches that they have in this book were written by people that kind of took individual writings of others about the lives of different people in the area. They didn't necessarily confirm all of the facts. And so oftentimes you'll have a few details in these stories that don't necessarily align with other references or facts that you find on people and that's just part of putting together timelines of history when you're doing research that you have to take a lot of these biographical collections with somewhat of a degree of accuracy but at the same time there's also a percentage of it that can be off Uh, so taking it with a grain of salt you might say and the center of the story is going to surround Caleb Eldred and his son Nelson Eldred There'll be some other references to other family members as we go along. But let's start with Caleb Eldred. He was born in April of 1871 in Pauno, Bennington County, Vermont. And he had parents that were of English ancestry. And they had originally lived in Rhode Island, but then moved to Vermont. And they had seven children, five of whom were sons. And Caleb was one of them. And only two of the family besides himself ever came to Michigan. So Caleb grew up as a boy and spent his school days in the Green Hills of Vermont. He went to the common school for his curriculum. And at that time, it included only reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also a little bit of geography and grammar. Caleb made the most proficiency in reading, writing, and arithmetic. Grammar was not made a necessity in the common school back then as much as it became later an important part of the study. However, he must have retained enough education to advance because when he became older, 
He taught the country school as an educator. The next major event in his life was in October of 1802 when he married Miss Phoebe Brownell. And in February of 1803, they moved to Lawrence, Otsego County, New York, and he took up farming. And he served in that township as the Justice of the Peace as well. And he was president of the Otsego County Agricultural Society for several years. Now, during DeWitt Clinton's administration as governor of New York, Mr. Eldred was elected to the state legislature, and he was also re-elected. And while a member of that body in 1821, he was very influential in securing Martin Van Buren's election to the United States Senate. And he was also a very important advocate of Governor DeWitt Clinton's great enterprise to build the Erie Canal. So that's a very interesting connection to Michigan history because the Erie Canal, when it eventually became open, was a main course of travel into Michigan. Now, while he busied himself with farming, he started to have health problems. And it was generally thought that he had what was known in that time as consumption, which was a form of tuberculosis, an insidious disease. And it had selected him to devour him, as it is so thought. But under the advice of physicians, they told him to seek another business other than farming. So he switched to a more active role of being a drover in the saddle, riding from Otsego, Chenego and adjoining counties driving cattle and he would also buy cattle in the Philadelphia market. It's claimed that he sent the first drove of cattle from New York to Philadelphia during that time. So it was during this time with his new business that he heard flying rumors about a new territory up among the lakes in the far northwest called Michigan. And he even went so far as to try to acquire a map of the geographical location of Michigan and do his own research on it. And the outcome of that is he became inspired to move to the new territory as a pioneer. And so in the summer of 1830, he set out for this wild western territory and he reached the interior as far as present-day Jackson. At that time, it was known as Jacksonburg. But he became ill and caught a fever. And at that time, the fever was a foe to many of the frontiersmen that were traveling west. It was called the fever and ague. And it attacked him. And he remained for six weeks in a tavern in that town of Jacksonburg called Blackman's Tavern. And every day he would have the icy shakes and the burning fever of a most miserable disease. So it was probably very similar to malaria. And it could quite possibly have been that he contracted malaria. So while he was there, he wasn't very fit to travel, but he had met a man by the name of Ruel Starr when he was in Detroit. And so he gave Mr. Starr some instructions and a little bit of money and told him to go on a tour of discovery of the news land and bring back a report to him. And so he prospected his way up to Grand Rapids and then he made his way back through the Gull Prairie, which was around the Kalamazoo area in Richland. And then he followed the old trail to Kalamazoo and then he returned back to Jacksonburg. So he would have come probably through Battle Creek at that point. And he brought a report 
to Mr. Eldred about the new territory. And Mr. Starr had nothing but praise to talk about this new territory when he returned. And he gave him all the details of the different areas of land that he had uh, gone through. And surprisingly, when Caleb Eldred came through that fever, which lasted about six weeks, any lingering vestige of the prior condition that they thought was consumption was also burned out by this fever. And he had a much improved health on the outcome of coming on to the other side of it. And so he was renewed and renovated, and he himself felt like a new and healthy man, and he was ready to accompany his new companion, Mr. Starr, and venture westward through the unbroken wilderness. And so they followed the blazed trees westward along the Indian trails, and they came to the area of Kalamazoo and located lands and made a claim at what is now present-day Comstock, Michigan. These claims also included the water power in that area. And he employed a man by the name of Ralph Tuggle to build a log house on his claim, and he returned to the east to prepare for a final journey and move his family to this new land. Now, a short time after he left, a man by the name of Hiram Moore, another man by the name of Jackson and J.F. Gilkey, came to Comstock and in the old settler's phrase, they jumped Judge Eldred's claim. And they also located other lands so as to cover both sides of the creek at this place that he had set up. So in 1831, in January, he returned with his son Daniel and spent the winter in his new house, which had been erected at the mouth of the creek. And then he began the erection of a sawmill which he finished in a short time. And then Hiram Moore afterwards justified his action to him in jumping his claim, saying that he did not think that Eldred would ever come back again. Consequently, he felt at liberty to locate himself on the land and set himself up. The judge afterwards located lands on the same stream as he had originally established himself in Comstock. And during that same season, many other immigrants pitched their tents at Comstock and sought shelter among those who had built houses, including Mr. Eldred. So while this colony was making improvements and getting ready for winter, Caleb Eldred is informed by one of the immigrant travelers that arrived named Calvin White of a beautiful prairie that he had discovered lying off to the southeast direction. And being desirous of visiting this new region, Caleb Eldred put together a party which consisted of himself, his son Daniel, Hiram Moore, and of course Calvin White, who served as their guide to take him to this new location. And so they set off into the wilderness with staffs in hand through the forest, searching for this new El Dorado. And arriving at the western border of this prairie, they were delighted with the view before them. And they remarked to Calvin White that he had done the subject justice, that the region that he had told in his stories was the very best. And after making an extended survey of the prairie, they found that they would seek the hospitality of that fine region for the evening and camp out. And they consequently camped on the east side of what became known later as Potter's Lake. And in the morning, they held a council to decide what name they would give to the prairie. And it was agreed that each one would present a name for it, and then they would select the best one among themselves. So Judge Eldred gave the name of Lawrence, 
the name of his town in New York. And Hiram Moore gave the name of his native place in Vermont. And then Calvin White of his native home in New York. And lastly, Daniel B. Eldred arose and said, At the caps, the climax of all prairies, I move that we call it Climax. And this resolution was seconded and carried unanimously. And thus, this new prairie would become known as Climax. And that was eventually settled. So in 1831, Mr. Eldred located land on this prairie and established his claim by conforming to the law that was then in vogue. And thus he plowed some of the portions of each of the lots that he claimed. Now the land office was down in White Pigeon at that time. And he could only purchase enough land to secure three quarters of section two. That was all the money he had. But he eventually bought two more sections of it um, afterwards at different parts of the prairie. And the surveyors had marked this spot previously as a desirable location on their maps. So 20 acres were platted with corn, and this tough prairie sod laughed at the hoe in planting, and they took a sharp spade or more, usually an axe, and cutting a hole in the turf, dropped in the corn and put the chunk back on by way of a plug. And thus they planted the 20 acres to corn, and eventually they would just leave it to grow and went back to Comstock. And when it came up, the gophers and birds were ready to devour it. But the worst enemies were the sandhill cranes. Stephen Eldred informed ADP Van Buren many years later that those cranes would stalk around the cornrows and stride with their long spilled beaks from hill to hill, darting down with their long bills, and they would pluck up and gulp down the tender corn shoots as they strode along the entire field. And one crane, he said, would devour an acre of young corn in a short time. But the cranes never did trouble them after that first season. So the next season in June, they planted another crop of corn, and they were successful in getting a good harvest by late in the fall. And when the corn field was full, they discovered there was another presence among the corn, and that was some Native Americans who they found inside the cornfield filling their sacks with ears of corn. So in the winter of 1831, Caleb Eldred and his son Daniel went to Detroit with their horse team to meet Stephen. And Stephen was the brother of Caleb Eldred. And Stephen was there with his family. They found Stephen on the opposite side of the river in Detroit, which had been closed by the heavy frost. And the judge carefully examined the icy conditions very carefully and made up his mind that they could bear the team's of oxen and so they hitched them up and they started with the loads and the ice settled beneath them at every step but they kept rapid in their motion and they reached the other shore very safely so they crossed this big river in detroit in the middle of winter on ice with a team of oxen and then stephen drove his team through galesburg in six days that winter that was pretty fast traveling at that time and then they found bridges over the large streams as far as ann arbor but none on the other side of Ann Arbor. So they had to ford streams and struggle through marshes and bumpy trails and all kinds of conditions before they reached Galesburg. So the next season, a man by the name of H.H. Comstock, along with Caleb Eldred and Samuel Percival, built a gristmill at Comstock. 
And the original contract ran like this. Comstock was to furnish the money and have one-half interest. And Caleb and Stephen Eldred were to furnish the lumber, millstones, and do the carpenter work and have one-quarter interest. And then Samuel Percival was to do the millwright work and have the other quarter of interest. And the contract was thus carried out. And the mill was finished before the wheat harvest in 1832. So... Caleb Eldred, in the winter of 1831 to 1832, hauled the millstones on an ox sled from Detroit, which must have been quite a journey in itself. Think about that distance. He went all the way from Detroit to Comstock hauling millstones by ox sled. What a journey. And from 1831 to 1834, part of Caleb Eldred's family remained at Comstock and part at the new home on the Climax Prairie. And during 1834, he sold out his entire interest at Comstock and moved to Climax, where he continued to reside and give his entire attention to farming. So what's interesting is he was the first postmaster at Comstock and then the first postmaster at Climax. And he was also the first supervisor for Kalamazoo and Comstock. And he was a big proponent of education. And as soon as the religious churches were built in Comstock, he went around the community and compelled everybody to contribute to the building of a school in Comstock. And then he did the same over in Kalamazoo and also Climax. Other interesting notes about Caleb Eldred was that he was very much an anti-slavery man. He was originally, in the early days, a Jeffersonian Democrat, but he was only active in that party until about 1848, and then he shifted from another faction of the party that became more anti-slavery as the Jeffersonian Democrats became more proponents of the southern slaveholders. And this little fraction or faction of the Democrat Party eventually dissolved when the Republican Party was formed by the abolitionists and the remnants of the Whig Party in Jackson, Michigan in 1854 under the Oaks, which is a whole story unto itself. And so he became a zealous supporter of the Republican Party following that and its anti-slavery position. There is also another interesting thing is he was very much the active leader in the temperance movement of Climax. And he was the spearhead of that movement in that area as the years went by. And in this uh, article by ADP Van Buren, he makes note that the first frame building that was put up by Caleb Eldred in one of the first summers he was there was a large barn, 40 by 80 feet, with 20 feet posts and a massive frame. And the assistance to raise it was gathered from a wide circuit of people living in the area as far away as Battle Creek and Gull Prairie and Tolan Prairies. And he also had a considerable number of Native Americans who also helped. So that's kind of an interesting side note of some of the early uh, pioneer history of Caleb Eldred. Now let's talk about one of his sons, and that is Nelson Eldred. Nelson came with his father to Michigan when he was only 10 years old, and he was living in the pioneer districts and getting very meager school privileges. And his father hired a private tutor for him 
over the winter. And in the fall of 1837, he went to Kalamazoo. He attended an institute which his father had aided in founding, and he remained there as a pupil for four years until 1841. Afterwards, he worked on the family farm in Climax, and he engaged in farming and eventually had his own farm for several years. And up to the time of his death in later years, he actually owned a tract of land over in Climax. But he resided in the Climax area until about 1866 when he made his new home in Battle Creek. And the previous year, he had purchased a hardware store which was previously one that was owned by Brooks and Barber. And he engaged in the management of this new store that he purchased. And he also took up a home on Maple Street in Battle Creek. And he renamed the hardware store Eldred and Peters, which was his partner. And he continued successfully in that business until 1871. In 1871, he partnered with a man by the name of Richmond and another by the name of Kingman, and together they established the City Bank, and he became a member of the first board of directors, and of its seven members, he was the last survivor of the City Bank. They had all passed away, but the City Bank was in continuous operation, and he had remained a director from about 1875 until his death many, many years later, and he was the oldest bank president in the state of Michigan during that uh, when he passed away. Now, the success of the City Bank was a tremendous one for the institution because during that time, banking industries tended to come and go and take everybody's money with them, and they weren't very well managed or regulated. And it was often referred to during that time as a period of what was known as wildcat banking. However, the City Bank did emerge successfully and remained stable for many years. So the bank received a lot of patronage in its early years, and within the first three years, there was a considerable amount of good dividends from their management of the bank. But Nelson Eldred was not just involved with the banking industry. He was also the director of the Battle Creek Gas Company from the time it was organized in 1871. And he remained in that for several years. And then he built the gas works there and the plant. And he was financially interested or had money involved in a lot of other different businesses that he had a hand in forming in management in the area. Now, there's a section of land that is near Gogwak Lake called Highland Park Addition. So if you're in the area and you're familiar with that, it used to be part of a 200-acre farm that Nelson Eldred owned while he was living in the area. And he gave 40 acres of it to the city, which formed the neighborhood called Highland Park Addition. On November 15, 1848, Mr. Eldred had married Miss Sarah Holden, who was a daughter of a man by the name of John Holden, and she was born in Vermont, and her parents came to Michigan in 1838. And she was educated in Vermont, and then she joined her parents in 1845 in Climax, and that's where she met Nelson Eldred, and they were married three years later. Now, she would live until she was... 74 years old, and pass away in April of 1900. And Sarah and Nelson had celebrated their 
golden wedding anniversary in their home on Maple Street in Battle Creek. And they were both active members of the Episcopal Church and supported the Baptist Church. And they had two children, and one of them was this son, Willard Eldred, who went on to graduate high school in 1871. And at the age of 16, he engaged in the wholesale saddlery and hardware business in Battle Creek and became the vice president of Citibank alongside his father. The other child of Nelson and Sarah died in infancy. Now, Nelson Eldred never really aspired to political office, although he did serve as supervisor in Climax and in Battle Creek and was a member of the school board. And one time he also served as mayor during his time when he was making many improvements to the city of Battle Creek. And he was always willing to devote his wealth and energies to any feasible plan or undertaking that would increase the prosperity of the city and add to the comfort of the people that lived within its borders. And through his life, he accumulated a pretty vast fortune, and he was one of the many honored pioneers that had established themselves in Battle Creek. And today, if you drive around Battle Creek, there is a street named after him called Eldred Street. So that is just a testament to his legacy within the community. So that's the story of Caleb Eldred and Nelson Eldred and some of the history of the communities that they were involved in. And I found that really fascinating because they originally arrived in Michigan and stayed some time in Jackson and then they made their way over to Comstock and settled that and established that village. They were one of the first settlers in the Comstock area. And then they went, after discovering the Climax Prairie, they set up ownership of land there and uh, helped establish that community. And then, of course, his son Nelson was very involved in Battle Creek. So there's a bit of an impact in all of those communities to a greater or lesser degree that had the Eldridge family involved. Many of the Eldridge remained in Comstock. Many still remained in Climax. And Nelson, of course, had quite an impact on Battle Creek during his time. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the life of this family in the community. And I thought that was a lot of fascinating early pioneer history uh, when I came across these write-ups on these two now, Caleb Eldred lived until the age of 95, and he died in June of 1876. And he's buried at the Prairie Home Cemetery over in Climax. And his son, Nelson Eldred, lived until September of 1903, passing away at the age of 81 three years after his wife Sarah had passed away. And his son Willard Eldred lived until 1921, passing away at the age of 66. And both Nelson and Willard are buried at Oak Hill Cemetery in Battle Creek. Very fascinating family. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you like today's episode, please be sure to leave a review or rating on whatever app you're listening to this podcast on. A lot of people out there are listening on Apple or Spotify. And you can also, I think, write reviews on Google Podcasts if you're out there using that app. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from you. And be sure to uh, check out the 
event that I have coming up at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, where I'll be on stage with Dave Eddy and Jim Jackson talking about Oak Ridge Cemetery. Should be a lot of fun. I hope you guys will come out and join us. Tickets are $10 each for that event. All the proceeds go to benefit the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. And I will put the link to where you can get tickets in the show note descriptions of this episode, as well as my website. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday, and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. Thank you.